0: To the QAV Investing Podcast. This is episode 628, the free edition. If you're new to the show, my name is Cameron Riley. Welcome. This is a podcast where each week I interview my mate Tony Kynaston, who's been a very successful investor over 30 years, about his investing methodology. He calls it QAV, quality at value. Basically, we try to buy shares in good quality companies, those that have got strong management and a strong track record of producing a lot of cash. But we only buy them when we can get them at a discount to their intrinsic valuation. It's good old-fashioned value investing, and we teach the way that Tony does it. This week on the free edition of the show, we'll be giving our regular portfolio update. We'll be giving an update from one of our listeners' portfolio, Jeff, for his financial year returns. We're going to be doing a deep dive on Tony's stock pick of the week, NZM. And we've got a question from a new listener, John, about companies with high levels of debt and intangibles. So let's get into it. Portfolio report. Portfolio is still where it's always been, to 2.8 times the uh, STW since inception when I checked this morning. But I wanted to point out LAU because I saw LAU had a corker of a week. It was up 14%, I think, in the last mm. week it's the new fmg in our portfolio it is up we we bought it in the dummy portfolio on the 9th of june last year and it is currently up we bought it at 42 cents it's currently at a dollar 25 it's up 202% had <laughs> two it. dividends nice dividends in that time 200% so if we were rebalancing we probably would have sold
1: it a long time ago Oh, yeah. And I haven't checked the graph on LAW, but we could also have sold it out if we were using a trailing stop loss, I would think, too. Probably,
0: yeah. It hasn't always been steady, and it's down a bit from, like, it was up even higher than that, I think, a month or so ago. It's come back a little bit. But, yeah, it's it's been a caucus. So in future, whenever we're talking about would you bench Michael Jordan, we can't talk about FMG now we need to talk about lau it's the new fng it's the new superstar and the dummy portfolio (laughs) and again it's one of those things i I think i've i've bought and sold it a few times over the years Lindsay. and i'm always like i don't know i've bought and sold this before but this last time over the last year it's been a corker
1: yeah and before i forget too someone asked me one of my friends asked me what stw was so that's our benchmark. It's the all Or ordin- uh, I think it's the ASX 200 accumulation index fund, which we benchmark. That's against.
0: right. Yeah, the SPDR 200 accumulation. Mm. We know the RBA held on rates last week. We mentioned that during the show, and the market had a corker after that. The mm. market was quite happy for a couple of days, and then not so much after that. Just crashed. Then afterwards, I don't know what's going on, Tony. The RBA says, no, we're not going to raise interest rates. The market goes, you beauty. And it goes (laughs) up for a day and then it goes, ah, yeah, but you're probably going to in a couple of months, aren't you? Yeah, all right. Well, it's partly that too.
1: It's partly what happens to interest rates overseas and what the speculation is there as well. So there was some data in the US and speculation was there'd be two more interest rate raisings over there. That came through last week and that sent markets down a bit. The US has to ruin all of our fun.
0: <laughs> now, a number of our listeners have posted results in the last week, which is nice. Jeff, I haven't learnt more being a member of QAV. No, sorry. Let me start that again. I have learnt yeah. <laughs> more being a member of QAV for a couple of years than I did in the previous 20 odd years as an investor. Surprised with wow. the results because my portfolios always seem a mess with pre-QAV stocks, too many overall, uneven weightings and not always following the rules, benefited from riding NHC and selling just off the peak. Also sold SHL, bought pre-QAV during COVID cough. Shows you only need one flyer. My other portfolio gained 11.8% due largely to dividends. So here's, he posted a screenshot from Stock Doctor here. His QAV portfolio starting on the 1st of July 2022 was up 16.05% beating the STW, which was up 14.78. So congratulations, Jeff. Well done. Champion yes, result. Well done,
1: Jeff. And thanks for sharing, mate. Good. I've just got a pulled pork to do. What are do you doing, week? On Zod May. Yeah. <laughs> the code is NZM, and this is a dual listing both in New Zealand and in Australia. The company is a, a media company in New, in New Zealand, large one over there. A lot of print media, so New Zealand Herald, but all the large cities in New Zealand have a newspaper put out by NZM. Uh, it started off, interestingly enough, around the dot-com time. There was a kid who set up a company or a, a website portal called stuff.nz, which was like the yahoo.com of New Zealand. So it was a portal yeah would put content out there and classifieds was probably the biggest one at the start anyway and survive off advertising revenue it got bigger and bigger bought out by nine Entertainment. And then recently sold back to the New Zealand, I think it was actually a management buyout about three years ago in New Zealand, and they're trying to make it work. This is just like we spoke about when we did Seven West Media as our deep dive, because it's the it's a media company, advertising revenues are defecting to social media, so they're doing it tough. And the... Journalists who bought it out have decided to try and put as much behind a paywall as they can now. They're seeing that as the potential saviour, but who knows? So it is a media stock. It's not without its risks for those reasons. Plus, the other risk that this company faces is its biggest competitor is probably Rodeo New Zealand, which is state-run. So it doesn't care what the advertising market's doing. It's going to keep churning out content regardless. So, yeah, it's in a challenging market, but it does come with a strong legacy of brands not just the newspapers and the portal which has classifieds and i think also car sale classifieds and and also home sale classifieds so i think of stuff new zealand as like a as a pretty much all of the individual e-commerce brands in australia like you see can you cars.com and domain.com and realestate.com rolled up into one, plus add The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald and some other newspapers, and then add Nova FM and the radio networks that go with them. So that's pretty much what Stuff New Zealand is in New Zealand. And it's called NZMe. So that's the company. Like I said, it's undergone a management by a lady by the name of Sinead Boucher and just been restructured to put more behind the paywalls. By the numbers, I'm using a share price of $0.85. ADT for this stock isn't that large. It's $44,000. And that might be because it's still listed. It may have a bigger ADT in New Zealand. I'm not sure. But 44000 will suit some small portfolios for our listeners, but won't suit the people who need a bigger ADT. It's just crossed its 2BL, so a second buy line. But I think I had looks before we came on the show and it's just dropped back a bit today so it's skirting with becoming a buy again for us way above its buy price but it has been a bit of a josephine for a last six months or so so just have check the price out before you you do anything as part of the research you do before buying this company isn't covered by analysts so we have no consensus target which is uh, usually a good thing because we Become our own analysts and uh, can get a jump on the market. A couple of other interesting facts: the yield on this company is nine point six nine times. a uh, percent, sorry. So that's a very large dividend it's paying. Whether that continues if they're having problems raising with advertising revenue decreasing, and if the paywall doesn't work, that may that dividend may be in doubt. But at the moment, it's high, so it's higher than the bank rates. So we give it a tick. But it's one of those stocks where the yield minus the PE is positive. So it's, its PE is 7.58 times, which is less than the yield it's paying out. So that's always been, for me, an indicator of deep value. So that's a good thing too. Uh, Stock Doctor Financial Health is strong and steady, which is in itself interesting if the company is is facing risks um, and decreasing sales. It, it seems to be doing uh, well, at least from the financial risk uh, management side of things, so that's good. Uh, again, we're buying it cheaply, probably because of all the risks I've um, talked about. But the prop cap is four point, just under 4.5 times. So that's that's nice and juicy. IV1, however, is $0.58. Cents and the stock price, as I said, was 85 So we uh, can't buy it on that basis. So we can't score it on that basis. There's no IV2 because without broker coverage, we're not getting any forecasts for this company. So we can't score it on that one. Net equity per share is $0.70, cents, which is less than the share price. But if we add 30% to that, book plus 30 is $0.90. Cents. So it's just below its book plus 30, which is good. I I couldn't tell if it had an owner-founder, which I thought was interesting. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on, whether Stock Doctor is a bit out of date or whatever. But Sinead Boucher, who I spoke about before, was the journo who led the management buyout is now meant to be the executive chair of the company, but I'm not seeing her in stock doctor as any of the office holders. So I can't tell what her shareholding is. It's quite possible it's being her shareholding maybe through a company name, or it's also possible given this was a management buyout that they geared up and it's they don't have a large percentage stake in the company, even though they bought it out. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on there, but I have to score it as a zero for owner-founder, which is strange because this company is now being run by the journos who work there. Happy if you had another point to the checklist based on that, but at the moment we're not seeing it in the numbers, so I'm not scoring it. Uh, in terms of the manual data, it uh, doesn't have consistently increasing equity, so it gets a zero. The PE, which I said before was 7.58, isn't the lowest or the highest in the last uh, three years, so we're not scoring it for that one. And the it's well above its byline, so we're not giving it a recent upturn for that either. So all in all, the quality score for this company is 9 out of 12, which is 75%. And because the prop cap is 4.49, we have a QAV score of 0.17, which is not near the top of the buy list, but not near the bottom either. the in the middle. So not too bad. As I said, it does come with risks. Government competitor who doesn't really care about the declining ad revenues, they're going to be able to keep churning out content when NZM may have to cut back on journalists for example, is an issue, and then loss of advertising to social media is an issue. However, both in Australia and New Zealand, the government have just recently brought in laws so the social media have to pay use content originators for the news that they use. So that's going to help them a little bit. Yeah, NZM, not without its risk, but do your own research.
0: Apparently a Josephine, but very close to its 2BL.
1: Yeah, okay. It was actually above the 2BL this morning when I first looked at it. Oh, really? Hmm. hmm.
0: Well, Brantelator's got it as previous month close eighty eight cents. Current price is eighty seven cents. Currently, is very close. Said it
1: before eighty five. Yep.
0: Good, thank good. you, TK.
2: Hi, Alex. Hello.
0: Hi, Al. How have you been, Alex? Have a good week.
2: Yeah, I've had a lovely week.
0: What do you have for us today, Al?
2: I have a question from John. He says, "Hi, Cameron. How are you?" Good, thank you, John. Yeah, <laughs> he says. <laughs> I have just stumbled upon your podcast and website. I'm enjoying listening to you and Tony on the podcasts. So he says, I have identified a handful of companies with a price to cash ratio below six to seven. What surprised me is that most of these companies have very high debt identified in the debt to equity ratios. Is this why they have so much cash? Isn't this dangerous in the current economic slash interest rate cycle slash conditions? So his examples are um, MQG, ANZ, and BHP. I deduct intangibles from total assets when calculating debt to equity. Experience has taught me intangibles are called intangibles for a reason. I assume intangibles refer to the past purchase of businesses or goodwill. They can be valued at whatever someone is willing to pay. Curious to know what you both think about the debt to equity ratio and intangibles. Look forward to hearing from you. Thanks and regards, John.
1: Thank you, John, (laughs) (laughs) slash Alex. Did that question make any sense to you, Al?
2: I had to do a bit of Googling. I will say. Oh, good.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I think I understand the basic principles.
1: What's an intangible?
2: Things like goodwill and non-tangible things, basically.
1: <laughs> uh, intangibles non-tangible. It's, yeah, okay. it's intangible. the one
2: that's not tangible. This, yeah. I
0: tell you what, that's why she got 96%. Yeah. <laughs> right, right
1: there. Where yeah. the rubber meets the road.
2: Big brain. What's yeah. uh,
1: what's goodwill?
2: I looked it up because I was surprised it actually had a like formula. I can't remember the formula, mm. but it has one. <laughs> But it's basically <laughs> what the general population thinks of the product that the companies have. And it's in the name. It's just like people's trust in the well, company, right?
1: That's the goodwill of people towards the brand, yeah. But it does have a financial meaning. And it's generally, in terms of dollars and cents, it's what you've paid above what the assets are valued at when you bought the company. So sometimes it's called control premium if it's a listed share. Sometimes it's called, yeah, it's the premium you've paid. So. You've bought some assets. So what's an example? So I bought a coffee shop next door and I had to pay them above what, it, what I, I could have gone out and bought those assets for to make it worth their while to sell to me. And that goes on to the balance sheet. You have to record the assets at their realized value, at their value, but because you paid more for it, the rest is goodwill. It's by definition intangible because... You could have, I guess, you could have haggled harder and got a cheaper price. They could have held out for a higher price, even though the market has a value on the company at, at X dollars. You're buying assets which, in in their books, have, have been bought for Y dollars or depreciated down to Y dollars. So that's what goodwill is, and that's why it's intangible because it, it's not, it hasn't gone through an accounting process based on the asset price. We covered this, uh, I think, once before with a company called ASG, Auto Sports Group, and that's a car dealership company and it had lots of intangibles, i.e. Goodwill, on its balance sheet because its business model was to go and buy car dealerships and to roll them up. And From memory, it had a, a mini dealership, it had a BMW dealership, Volvos, et cetera, et cetera. But to buy those businesses off their current hold shareholders, they had to offer more than what the assets were worth that they were buying. And so then they had to book that as an intangible or goodwill. And so they had lots of that on their balance sheet. The thing I think it's important is that, okay, you've got a company that has lots of debt and it has lots of intangibles, but the real question is, can it service the debt? And that's where operating cash flow comes in. If ASG or any of these other examples that uh, John's listed, MQGA and ZBHP, for example, um, have intangibles, have lots of debt, but not much cash flow, then they're going to go broke because you can't service it. So, all of these companies have one thing in common, and that is that they've got enough debt to service their, sorry, enough cash flow to service their debt. So that's the important thing. So it's a, in terms of intangibles, it's a bit like horses for courses. Yeah, sure. If if and BHP is an ex, a company I'll single out because it, in the dim duck past, when I was first getting into investing, it had an atrocious record of overpaying for assets. They basically had bought things at the peak of the commodity cycle and paid too much for them and then when the cycle dipped they had these intangibles they had the debt for the purchase and they weren't getting a cash flow to, to cover it and they, they were in a bit of trouble so you you do have to be careful with these things but i think we focus on stock doctors financial health which is a one of the criteria they use is both the ability for the company to pay its debts and but also, which is operating cash flow, but also the the leverage it has, so the debt to equity. Although I think they use long term, what do they use? They use long term something. They use something else anyway. But it's basically debt to equity. So if anyone ever wants to look up these sorts of metrics, they are in stock doctor. And if you click on the financial health, It'll take you through to a table. I'll do that now for BHP just so I get that clear for people. If I look at BHP and I click on their financial health, which is strong, by the way, I get a big table here of of all the Stock Doctor financial ratios, which is the basis for, for Stock Doctor. It's using all of these different ratios to, first of all, work out what the common scores would be for companies before they went broke, and then to reverse them to say, If they're at the other end of the spectrum, it's a strong financial company. The um, the balance sheet ratio Stock Doctor uses total liabilities over total tangible assets. And for BHP, that's actually an early warning, but it's still only uh, um, a ratio of uh, 0.5, so 50%. So it's not too bad. But these, the three companies that John's outlined are all blue chip companies. And if they were having problems with their debt serviceability, we'd, we'd know about them. Because they're they're well covered anyway. But interestingly enough, I did look at those three companies, and they they weren't that the intangibles weren't very big on those three. For example, BHP has about two billion dollars worth of intangibles at 129 billion dollars worth of total assets. So the proportion of intangibles to tangible assets was quite low, and that was similar for most of those. Um, one thing to be aware of, of with the banks is that deposits are counted as a liability, so that can also Come up in their their intangibles, uh, and that's probably fair because if there's a run on deposits, they can go broke. But it's not strictly speaking debt the way that we think of it. There's no borrowings there, and they're having to that they're having to service. The banks though tend to issue lots of bonds to make up the difference between their deposits and then the mortgages that they've lent out. But the thing with the banks is that they're regulated by APRA and stress tested by APRA, so they they do have pretty good risk controls. Independently opposed, uh, imposed on them. That's not to say they can go broke, and they certainly had to raise capital during the GFC, for example. But the companies that we're talking about here are pretty solid from a financial point of view. So I'm not going to be worried about their intangibles or their debt levels. I've never actually called out debt to equity as one of the things on the checklist, but A, because it's part of the stock doctor methodology. It be because I tend to think of things as debt to assets rather than debt to equity, which is just a different way of looking at it. And I tend to look at companies which have, I like to see companies have less than 50% debt to assets, but preferably 33%. And 33% is less than 50% debt to equity. So that's the kind of range I'm looking at. But again, it can be horses for courses. If someone did go out and launch an acquisition for another company and they did that using debt, but they thought that the Operating cash flow from the company they bought was going to pay down their debt quickly. I'd probably turn a blind eye to that that sort of increase in their debt to equity, which is a short term basis. Yeah, it's probably much probably about all I can say about it. I think we're I think we're covered with the stock doctor financial health. Our focus on operating cash flow is the real thing, I think, which gets us through. If you've got a company throwing off lots of cash, then it can handle some level of indebt- indebtedness. But of course, there is a risk in there that if there is uh, intangible assets that they can't sell, and they're having trouble servicing their debt, then yeah, they'll be in trouble. But I I can't think of any companies that have been on our buy list or that I've bought that have fallen into that category.
0: In my email reply to John, I actually said, look, I think those are you're right, high levels of debt and high levels of intangibles could be an issue for some businesses, but a couple of things for us is, one, for a company to end up on our buy list, it's got to pass a whole bunch of metrics. Yeah. If it has high levels of debt or high levels of intangibles, but passes all of our other financial health metrics, value metrics, we've got a buffer between what we're paying for it because we're getting it at a discount to the valuation, it's a heat map approach. Sentiment mm. is positive for it. All of those things, analysts giving it a good thumbs up. I think I, I said to him, "I think intangibles and de- high levels of debt can actually be a good thing in the right hands." Right. Yeah. If you're buying good quality businesses with a good track record of running their business year after year, which is the sort of businesses we tend to see on our buy list, then they probably know what to do with the debt. They probably know what to do with the intangibles. We're not buying tech startups with high levels of debt and no cash flow when like their equity is all made up of intangibles and they've got nothing. It's just an office with three developers and a a very expensive logo. We're buying really solid businesses sometimes that have been through a rough trot, but they're turning it around because they've got good quality management and they fix the problems, et cetera. So I said, look, I'm not worried about those things. When it's part of an overall picture of the opportunity of buying into the company, and I think that's one of the things that QAV does a good job of is uh, looking at a whole mm. bunch of metrics. We're not just looking at one or
1: two. Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, just a couple of other points to add to what you've said. I'm not scared of debt. I think debt can be the friend, can be our friend, because if we're onto a good thing, we may as well leverage into it as well. Not overly leverage, but take on some more debt to expose us to that opportunity even more. And there's a thing that economists call a lazy balance sheet, which you don't see that much these days. But I remember back in the 80s and 90s, a lot of a lot of companies were being called out for having ungeared balance sheets. And then people would say, you can take on a certain amount of gearing, maybe 30%, and, and grow because of that leverage, and, it's, and you've got plenty of cash to pay it down. Generally, companies try and land in that sweet spot of about 30 to 50% debt to assets or debt to equity, depending on how you look at it. That's the first thing. The other thing I wanted to just say was that the three examples that were in John's question, Macquarie Group, ANZ and BHP, they've all been on the buy list in the past, but they're not there now. As I said before, Macquarie is negative operating cash flow. I think ANZ's below our cutoff in terms of QAV score, and I'm not sure about BHP, but it's not there either. There, there, may, there may be reasons for that, but we're screening for these things all the time. So if they do have too high debt or too too many intangibles, they may not be there. The flip side is ASG, which I just spoke about, is on the buy list and it does have lots of intangibles, but it has lots of operating cash flow to service the debt on, on that company. And I just if I could pull out some figures on ASG, let me just try and find them. Now ASG, being a car sales group, they have long term and short term debt. The lot, the short term debt. Is there to buy cars to then sell. So that kind of back backs to back the inventory. It's not quite that back to back, but I guess they're buying it wholesale and, and then selling at retail. But in terms of the long-term debt, which would be the debt that's being used to acquire car franchises, long-term debt is $273 million. Uh, intangibles is $494 million. And then property, plant, and equipment is $374. So They've got enough assets to cover the debt. Um, Intangibles are certainly high and and, and the long-term debt is high, but they've got heaps of operating cash flow to cover it and service it and over time pay it down as well. So I'm not worried about that. And as I said, during the deep dive for ASG, if they ever decide to sell off a car franchise because they are having debt problems, that's when you see whether the goodwill is at the right value or not. And that's the other thing about goodwill is that in a lot of cases, it's being carried at an undervaluation of of what the asset might be worth now from a brand point of view. For example, if ASG bought the mini Cooper franchise and there was a hundred million dollars of goodwill in doing that, if they expanded that franchise and built it up and then sold the business for two hundred dollars one hundred million dollars above its assets, and they've actually, being holding the goodwill at a lower value than what it's worth on their balance sheet. And it, there's no scope in the accounting standards that I'm aware of to, to revalue goodwill upwards. It can cut both ways with an intangible asset on your balance sheet. The last point I make is that these big companies, they're not pulling debt out of the air. They've got to go and convince a banker or someone who wants to buy a bond that they can repay it. There's financial people crawling all over their balance sheets all the time before they get the debt to make sure that they can service it.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things I said, too, about debt and goodwill. These exist in well-run businesses with solid management. I assume they're being cautious. Their auditors are looking at everything. We're looking at the audit reports for any issues. We have a degree of trust that they are doing a good job and handling it responsibly, that the goodwill is at a responsible valuation, et cetera, et cetera. They're not fly-by-night operations that we tend to be investing in, dodgy cowboy companies.
1: Yeah, look, price-to-operating cash flow is a really key metric and all that. And if you've got lots of cash, you can service the debt. Now, there could be down the road, there could be problems. And that's when the financial health ratios can be helpful as well. But yeah, we'll sell it when we need to.
0: And I said that too. Again, If we get it wrong, our stop losses get us out pretty quickly. Pop quiz, Alex. I want you to (laughs) reframe that, rephrase everything that your dad just said in a 15-second condensed summary for the listeners. This will be used in the promo for the episode.
2: Okay, cool. Prepare to have no listeners (laughs) in this episode.
1: (laughs) Okay. Do you have any questions?
2: I have an unrelated question.
1: Nothing about intangibles or goodwill. No, it's
2: what does horses for courses mean? (laughs) (laughs)
1: um it horses for courses is what's a a racing saying but it means that some horses prefer race certain racetracks over other racetracks where in our sort of neck of the woods mooney valley is a tight turning circuit so some horses favor that versus flemington which has a long straight and some horses like to build up through their gears to get to the top speed in a lot of taking a lot of time so that's what horses for courses means in that sense but in our sense what we're saying is that you probably can't have a general rule about intangibles and goodwill because in some cases yep it'll be a red flag Cameron said if it's a tech startup and all they've got is intangibles but in other cases like a, a car dealership where they're buying businesses and they know they have to pay more than what the assets are worth it, yeah I can feel reasonably comfortable with um, intangibles on their balance sheet.
0: Courses for courses just means it's on a case-by-case basis.
2: Yep. yep. Thank you. Fascinating. Got it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Thank so, you. That's good. Thanks, Al. <laughs> See, you, See you later. Thank you, John, for the question.
1: <laughs> See yeah. you
0: Al. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week. runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and, and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., uh sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style, but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Um, Check that out too. Um, It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you but uh, you know while he's not <laughs> we can do this so check that out qavpodcast.com.au slash light l-i-g-h-t uh, um that's it um if you don't want to sign up to eat any of those just keep listening to the free episodes and if you have any questions uh, shoot me an email you'll find that on our website too all right have a great week and good luck with your investing QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 01292718. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.